This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome and happy Victoria Day. Does it feel different from any other day? This is the traditional kickoff to summer and it certainly doesn't look that way weather-wise and it doesn't feel that way anyway. But tomorrow the province starts reopening. So what does that mean for the older population? And will we maintain the focus on fixing the terrible situation in long-term care? Or will the focus move on to something else, to reopening our economy? I would like to hear from you. Is there anything that will change for you tomorrow? 416-360-0740, toll-free one 866-740-4740. And now we're going to do what we do here every Monday and bring in our Zoomer squad. I'd like to welcome Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, David Kravitz, VP of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. Hi, everyone. Happy Victoria Day. Hi, Libby. Hey, Libby. So, uh, does anything feel different to any of you? Everything well, feels different. Go ahead, David. I think I, I think you had it at the intro, Libby. It's, nothing feels the same. Uh, unseasonably cold weather and a shutdown economy. Um, and you know, one thing. I mean, fast on little details. We're not going to really hear the. Um, traffic reports this evening of Highway 400 jammed by returning cottagers, which is another tradition of Victoria Day, I suppose. Yeah. Um, So we are ready to reopen. Stage one of reopening tomorrow. Marissa, what does that mean for an older population? Well, I mean, I think... uh in April, I think the Premier suggested that, that some of the population may have to continue to self-isolate as the province reopens uh, in the absence of the vaccine. I don't know that that's so realistic to continue to ask people to self-isolate, but there's no question that older adults and people with compromised immune systems will have to remain vigilant. Um, we'll have to continue to, you know, wear masks. We'll, we'll, we'll have to keep tabs on their health. We'll have to continue to maintain sort of that, that physical distance that's been required of us. But, but not just older adults. Um, you know, as the world starts to reopen, I think the responsibility is on all of us to continue to do those things, not just for our own health and safety, but particularly for the health and safety of older adults. Peter? You know, Libby, at the beginning you mentioned, um, you know, now that, the economy is reopening. Well, we lose track of um, of uh, the long-term care issue, and and I think now that it's opening, we should double down on long-term care because there's going to be so many more people in uh, in the community that are carrying this disease, and we need to you know refocus our efforts on protecting long-term care homes now that there are more people out there. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I, I have to tell you that, um, uh, you know, I'm, I kind of uh, have mixed feelings myself because uh, I'm very fortunate. I've been working, but with very, very few people and in safe conditions. Uh, so it's kind of uh, like winning the lottery, getting to go to work and, and do stuff and be safe. And I, now that everybody else or, or a lot of other people are out there, I feel like it will be less safe. I'm not so sure. I, I think I, I understand what you're saying. I agree with you in, in aggregate. But at the micro level, I'm not quite sure how tomorrow is going to be different than today. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe it's going to be imperceptible. I mean, I have gone to a neighborhood pharmacy many times during this lockdown. I have walked down to a neighborhood uh, grocery store, which has six-foot separation tapes on the sidewalk outside and will only allow 30 people inside. Some people are wearing masks, some are not. Everybody's kind of respecting this, to Marissa's point, but I don't quite... I think lockdown means very different things for different people. And I think the biggest thing is whether you can go back to a business that has been closed down. That'll be the big difference. Will we go back to restaurants? Will we be able to get a haircut? I mean, these are the things that I guess will be the most dramatic at first, but I don't, I don't see a big change for seniors as compared to other age groups in the population. And in Ontario, uh, tomorrow, you still won't be able to go to a restaurant or get a haircut, to my knowledge. Now, I live with someone who uh, works in retail, and his store is opening tomorrow. um, Great. Congratulations. Congratulations. You you know what? We have mixed feelings about it, right? Because on the one hand, you know, we've got a a young one at home, and, and... so there are a number of reasons why we might be concerned about about her health if he was to contract it some way. But he's being extremely vigilant. He's putting hand sanitizer all over the store. He has a box of masks that he'll that he'll likely use. Um, but there hasn't been a lot of instruction. I mean, he hasn't been given any indication one way or another whether or not he needs to install glass barriers, which he can't really because he's in retail. So I don't know what the purpose of that would be. Um, but you know, I, I, look, he's happy to go back to work. Um, and I think it's time his, his business has suffered, uh, you know, a fair bit. And, um, but at the same time, you know, we, we all want to be, we all want to be cautious and, and knowing this, you know, we'll have to take extra precautions, particularly when, you know, visiting older family members. Well, let, let me ask you this about your husband's business, cause I've heard mixed things. So how's he going to deal with people trying clothing on? Uh, I think I heard the medical officer of health say that wasn't a big risk. Uh, how's he going to deal with that? You know, we just had this conversation. He doesn't, we don't know. I mean, that's, does he he allow someone to try something on, then does he have to, you know, let the clothing sit aside for for three days? I don't think he intends to do that. So, again, when we're taking these steps and he's opening his business and and, and the nature of the business is such that people come in and they try on clothing and sometimes it fits, sometimes it doesn't. Um, So I think, you know, one of the things he's for sure going to do is really ask that people that do come in the store make sure that they use hand sanitizer. Um, it's, It's probably the only thing he can do at this point. Yeah. Okay. The, that's the other. The other aspect to all this is getting the consumer to come back to retail. You know, in in China, we've seen the consumer afraid to come back, and uh, 
and economic activity has really slowed there, even after the restrictions have been lifted. So, um, you know, it's one thing for Trudeau and Ford to say the economy is going to come roaring back, but they have to convince people that it's safe to go out there and, you know, and start spending, or the economy won't come roaring back. You know? I, I think that's a good point, but I also think it's a function of how the perception is of how bad it's been uh, until the comeback. If you look at Canada, um, on Quebec, with about a quarter of our population, has 60% of the fatalities have been in Quebec. 33% have been in Ontario, meaning 7% in the entire rest of the country combined. So if I'm a retail store maybe in Calgary where Alberta has, you know, under, I think about 40-something deaths, uh, I might feel a lot more bullish about resuming uh, my my past life than if I live in Montreal or in Toronto. It's going to be very, I think you're going to see tremendous variances in behavior based on the region and the locality where people live. I'm, you know, That's right. And in, in Saskatchewan, as far as I understand, people are, and they haven't had nearly the, the death rate that Ontario and Quebec have had, but people are allowed to go to return to, to hair salons, for example. Yeah, well, they've had seven yeah. deaths after all this time. That's it. Well, yeah. I, I, you know, to your point, David, I'm not so sure, uh, especially when I see pictures of uh, and video of what is going on in the United States. And even uh, this weekend from New York, of all places, that is the epicenter. And I saw pictures of crowds of, of you know, younger people near bars, hanging out, having a good time. And, and uh, that kind of reopening over there next door to us is happening, absent, uh, you know, the kind of benchmarks that public health people are looking for. It's also happening absent permission by the state authorities. Yeah. Uh, by contrast, Texas, which has the same population as New York, if you combine New York, New Jersey, you've got 28 million people, 38,000 deaths, 42% of the entire United States in New York. Texas, same population, 1,153 deaths. Mm. So uh, you're going to be a lot more confident about going on. Texas is reopening a lot more vigorously than New York. And the crowd you described would be, and I think you're completely correct here, I mean, that, that was, Cuomo hasn't said hit the beaches, you know. This is in defiance of state uh, uh, regulations, whereas Texas and uh, California, Florida, are cautiously reopening already, and they have fatality rates that are less than 5% of what New York's rate is. California's got 40 million people, and they've got... 10% of as many fatalities as New York with more people. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all over the map, and we've got to be careful about, uh, you know, imposing one, one lens on everything. Uh, let me ask you this, because this is one thing that throughout the piece that I thought was kind of ages. Now, it's true that we know that older people are more at risk from the virus. But still, it makes a difference what your fitness level is. And, you know, these blanket statements throughout everybody over a certain age has to self-isolate. Don't ever go out unless there's some desperate situation. I mean, frankly, I I say this because uh, I live with somebody who is over 70 who is more fit than uh, 
I dare say, most 40-year-olds. And, uh, you know, he goes uh, on a little 80-kilometer cycle with his friends that are, are, some of them are even older. And, you know, they don't leave us all in the dust. Do you find that some of this advice has been really ageist? Silence. Dave? I think it is. David? All the the public health advice is sort of, um, you know, uh, leveled off to meet as many people as possible. But um, at at the older age spectrum, they just include everyone. You know, they don't say, uh, you know, they don't say children are, are not, um, you know, it, you know, at the, at the older spectrum, they just throw everyone under the same guidelines, no matter if they're like your husband and biking 80 kilometers or they're 98 and have uh, five different chronic conditions, you know. So that there certainly has been a just uh, public health guidelines, Libby. I, I completely agree with that. David? You know, oh, Marissa, go ahead. Talk, well, guys. I- well, I would say, look, I, I think we we do know that um, older adults, not all older adults, but older adults on generally are more vulnerable to the severe illness and even death associated with COVID-19, statistically. Having said that, I think the onus is on the individual to know their body to know, you know, you know the health, their their current health status, to be completely in tune with that. What I would say is that I think early on in the pandemic, and it's somewhat continued, is because of this rhetoric, many younger people did not take it seriously. Remember, earlier on, early on in the pandemic in March, even early April. The beaches were still flooded in parts of Florida. People were swarming during March break to, to you know, the Miami beaches. Um, and so I think that, that is, that's had a really negative impact because we do know younger people that have died. And now we're starting to see, um, you know, some of the side effects associated with coronavirus on younger children uh, akin to Kawasaki disease. So, you know, I think there's still so many unknowns. And one of the biggest things about this virus is that we don't understand fully why it targets some people and not others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, uh, think, I think also the problem is, what do you mean by self-isolate? I mean, the whole, this whole coronavirus phenomenon has been plagued by terms whose meanings are either vague to begin with or keep changing. So if I'm self-isolating, I'm not, we're obviously not going to work, but I have made many trips to nearby stores uh, without anybody stopping me or asking to see my birth certificate, how old are you? Get out of here. Um, I've seen older people, younger people. Um, and in those situations, the six-foot limit has been seen as being the precaution that you're taking. But you're not isolated. You're in the store. Um, so if I can go into a pharmacy uh, and buy products and stand in line six feet away, and I can't go to a hardware store and do the same... I have to pick it up at the curbside, but the guy that's coming out to give it to me may or may not have a mask. It's really been very inconsistent. There's been a lot left to the discretion of the individual, and I don't really, I'm not criticizing that. I don't really know how you can avoid that. So I don't even know what self-isolation means anymore, frankly. Well, I I just recall particularly earlier on, you know, what we were told from public health was that people over 65 or people over 75 do not leave your house 
You know, get somebody right, to right. deliver your groceries, deliver your, your, your medications. Do not leave your house. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. But that certainly hasn't been uh, enforced. Well, yeah, thank goodness. But I, I'm just saying... It hasn't been enforced. It, w- it was recommended, though. Yeah, yeah I, I just found that to be uh, an ageist message, quite frankly. I think you're completely right. Yeah. Okay. I hope that public health people are uh, are are listening to that. Uh, so you know, I th- I think that we will. You know, Peter, to your point, I think that it's going to be a struggle to keep people focused on long term care. We've seen some new lawsuits being launched, and then you know there was this debate that opened up last week, you know, is the review proposed by the government good enough or do we need a, a fully independent public inquiry that's somehow better than the last public inquiry that we just had? Are, are we going to get lost in that, Marissa? Um, well, I, I, look, I think that we know a lot of the cha- I think we know all of the challenges really in long-term care. There may be some debate about how to how to fix it, but what an inquiry would do was point would be to point out some of those deficiencies, um, inefficiencies, challenges, shortcomings in the system. And we've already, to your point, we've gone through, we went through a very comprehensive, robust inquiry into long-term care, albeit the circumstances much different, uh, just a year ago. And a fraction of the recommend, barely even a 10 of the recommendations of the 91 that were in- included in the total were even implemented. So, you know, I have some reservations about calling for a national public inquiry into long-term care when we already know a lot of the challenges that are going on there. Yeah, I mean, why not just go ahead and fix some of the stuff why not that fix we know the system? about? Exactly. Well, mm-hmm. the, biggest, the biggest problem, I think, too, or a big problem, is the physical plant. If you take the entire... Yeah long to the physical plant is completely inadequate to deal certainly with the pandemic. I had a conversation yesterday um, with someone who works in the Trillium Hospital system, uh, very still working, going, and she was describing to me the way they were able to adapt on the fly, move people around. They had entirely empty floors by canceling surgeries. They were fr- freeing up them. So if an infection came in, they had moves they could make. They had capacity that they could adjust and tweak and and correct on the fly and they did it was very interesting to hear all the things they did to to keep uh, to keep things under control there's no such ability in an overcrowded inadequately designed uh, long-term care facility that doesn't have that uh, th- that that physical plant that can even begin to cope with this so how are you going to fix that in a hurry that's going to be a big challenge i believe well, yeah, but it's also, don't forget, one of the things they did to create that capacity was that they sent the, quote, alternate level of care patients who've, who've been languishing in the right. hospital, they sent them to long-term care. Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, Absolutely. you know, when there is whatever review there was, I think that will be deemed to have been a mistake. That's yeah. right. It's already becoming a major scandal in New York because Cuomo ordered that to be done, and then he changed it, and now there's the usual raft of losses we can expect, particularly one in the very litigious USA. <laughs> one of the things that I find just outrageous, and it's come to my attention recently, is given what we know with how easy this virus is to spread, 
this virus spreads in congregate settings like long-term care, you would think that all homes would stop accepting new patients. And just the other day, I had someone reach out to CARP um, and ask for help because her mother was now at the top of the wait list. And the Halton Lynn said, uh, you know, the bed is available. You need to take it. She had some she was, of course, uncomfortable with putting her her mother in a long-term care facility, given what we've seen happen in Ontario. And they said, well, if you don't take the bed, then you're off the wait list and you're, you're back at square one. And I find that just egregious that, that Lynn thought... would be putting families in that situation. And it's up to the Lynn is what is something that I've come to learn. Okay, yes. I, you know, and, and this is one of the disconnects between the top levels of government and what's happening on the ground, because this has come up again and again. And if you were to ask the health minister about it or long-term care, you would hear that we fixed that, but it's up to the Lynn. And wouldn't a Lynn welcome or a long-term care home welcome a free bed? God forbid there was an outbreak in the home. They could effectively isolate them that way. Wouldn't they welcome that? Uh, well, I think I think that we have to uh, name and shame that Lynn first start. <laughs> I think so. I mean, honestly, um, we've got uh, Jim in Pickering has a suggestion for uh, Marissa's husband's clothing store. Hi, Jim. Hi. Good morning. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do have a suggestion and an idea, and I've heard that discussed before about the clothing, and it could also work in a hardware store where you have a sample product there. So it could be a jacket in a clothing store, a jacket or a shirt or something of that nature. And and you have one there just for sizing, not the general merchandise that is for sale. And so that you could bring that out and have them try it. And then that's isolated. So you deal with that however you choose. And with the hardware, yes, you have a sample product. If you have to have the feel of the tool, it's that sample product. And then it is wiped down carefully after. But when I go to a store, I know my size. But if you buy a different brand, it may not be the same. So you have to take out all the little pins, unbutton all those buttons, and da-da-da. So could that not be workable? Uh, I don't. I mean, people are different sizes. (laughs) Yeah, but... But and I'm saying really one size, a large in one brand is not the same as a large in another brand. So, right, but you know, but I but I mean for a sample, if you have one sample, you know, it's not going to fit a lot of people. One and, sample in each size, size, it'll be a large, an extra large, a small, whatever. Yeah, except except you know, if you're talking about a small storefront retail store, they they wouldn't have more than that to begin with. Uh, I don't know, Marissa. Like the what would you order in each style? You wouldn't have a sample in each yeah, one. Well, That's prohibitive. Knowing knowing his merchandise, what he's got in the store, he he definitely doesn't have a sample of every size of every product in the store. But I see what you're trying to get at, and um, okay. it is. I think I think it I think what'll have to happen to your point is maybe if someone does try something on and they don't take it with them he'll he'll likely have to set it aside maybe for you know 2 or 3 days or maybe there's a way I don't know he can what? he can wipe it down with a sanitizing sanitizer some kind of sanitizer, I'm not sure. I don't know about Lysol on the uh, on, on a delicate <laughs> on fabric. I mean, I guess the question is, even if you order something online, how exactly do you know where it's been? Yeah. You don't. 
and because you can try it, you get it on, you know, online, uh, and then you try it on. You decide you don't like it, and you send it back. But I guess that takes a few days. Right. Yeah. Like all these, all these concerns are. We're going to have to get over them to get the economy going full steam. You know, as long as we're in our in the back of our minds, we're saying, if I try on that shirt, will I get COVID? Or if I try on those shoes, or you know, it's it's just never going to restart normally again. And uh, so, as soon as we're confident as a society that the risk is low enough that we can go out and buy full force, and then we'll be there. Peter, that's a very good point. Jim, uh, thanks for your call. Thank you, Libby. Bye. Bye. Yeah, um, I, th- I think that's right. And I, I mean, I know that at the beginning, when I did the weekly grocery shop, literally the stuff that's packaged, I, I kind of lysoled all the packaging. Right, right. And then I'd leave the, the bags, like the plastic bags, I'd leave them for a couple of days. And then I've heard public health people say, you know, you don't really need to do that. So, uh, you know, I've sort of relaxed about about that part. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Is there anything that, that uh, all of you have relaxed about? Exactly the same point. We get all our groceries delivered except for fresh bread that I go down to the neighborhood store to buy. And we hand sanitize ourselves afterwards. We go out on the porch. All the bags are there. We bring them in. But I haven't cleaned off individual packaged product. We just put them in the the shell. Yeah. Uh, Marissa? Probably the same. I mean, I can tell you one thing that will last forever is the the amount of hand washing I I do on a regular basis. (laughs) Because, you know, I think from the very beginning of the pandemic, if I would bring items home from the grocery store, um, I would probably just put them all away. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't know that I ever sanitized them. I probably just put them away and then, but I would always wash my hands sort of before and after. And, and that's just sort of how I've, how I've continued to, to, to protect myself. Yeah. Um, no idea. I'm finding like there's too much lice all around. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, finding it too. I mean, it's hard to find. Yeah. Well, it's also inhaling it and stuff. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I think people will, it's, it's this weird balance, you know, where mm-hmm. you, you need to relax, but you can't relax too much or that's going to be a problem. Right. Okay. Uh, we are getting to the end of our time. So uh, what would you like to leave us with starting with David? Well, I think that it's good news that um, we're starting to reopen. I think that I saw a poll a couple days ago from Angus Reid that more Canadians are now thinking about their financial life after COVID than the health risk of uh, residual COVID lingering on. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it does speak to your earlier point about are we going to forget about long-term care homes and the excitement of the economy, and we can see headlines in the paper about the economy, the economy, the economy. So we are going to have to keep the um, pressure on quite actively to make sure that the long-term care scandal, because it is a scandal, uh, is not forgotten. Peter? Well, as the as these stores reopen, um, they're going to do so under a set of rules that are, you know, they're going to seem inconsistent and confusing and bizarre and probably unenforceable. But you know, we're just going to have to roll with that. And, uh, you know, when we see hairdressers or dog groomers open but not hairdressers, we're just going to have to bite our tongues and wait until it all sorts itself out with as 
you know, with as much uh, enthusiasm and optimism as possible. <laughs> yeah, you don't want your dog yeah. to look better than you do. Right. Exactly. Sure. <laughs> Marissa. Yeah, you know what? The, the province is beginning to reopen. I don't see it reversing that course. Um, I anticipate, you know, phase two, phase three continuing. And so what I would say is, you know, I think we all have to do our part to make sure that those that are vulnerable are as protected as possible. And so, you know, continue to maintain that physical distance, continue to wash your hands, um, continue to be vigilant around about all of those things um, and, and, and stay safe. Okay. Thank you so much to our Zoomer squad, Marissa Lennox, Peter Mugridge, and David Kravitz. We will talk again soon. Have a nice Victoria Day. Bye-bye. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.